Welcome to TTP Episode 3, a conversation about life, health and overcoming the challenges we face on our individual journeys. This time I speak to Mark Farron about diabetes. Mark is a self-employed guitar teacher working in and around Torquay. He teaches in schools as well as privately. Mark is also involved with musical workshops for young carers. We've been close friends since childhood and shared lots of life's ups and downs, including births, deaths and marriages. We have a good old convo waffle about how Mark suddenly found out that he was diabetic at the age of 39, the implications it had on his life and how he manages his condition. Just a warning, we do talk about injections and needles, so if you're squeamish about those kinds of things, please look away. Towards the end of our conversation, Mark asked me some questions about where I'm at and I share a bit of history and details of my kidney condition. To clarify, I have polycystic kidney disease and the operation on my arm was to make an AV fistula. There are links in the description with more information about both of our medical conditions. We did have some technical issues with the call dropping, so apologies for the sound quality. So get ready, here we go. Hello, Mark. Hello, Alex. You're right. Yeah, how's it going? You're you're joining my TTP podcast because I'm I'm going to talk to you about uh, being middle aged and having a sudden or or just a, a chronic condition that's onset. So um, I'm doing this partly because of my, my midlife crisis and partly because I'm uh, also suffering from some chronic stuff that may come up in the conversation. You are an old friend of mine. I've known you for a long time, and you're father of three lovely daughters and married to a lovely woman. It's uh, one of those interesting things, isn't it? That um, as men, often we don't talk about medical issues or, or we don't want to think about it or if we are ill we we kind of avoid going to the doctors so I wanted to discuss with some uh, other men about um, medical conditions and especially if it is something sort of life-changing and how we deal with it and just sort of waffle conversation about it and see uh, how your journey started and where you've got to now and how it's impacted your life I know that you're diabetic but you can you can tell me exactly what you've got my diagnosis is actually uh, what they call late onset type 1 diabetes. So the type 1 diabetes part uh, means that my pancreas stopped working and uh, no longer produces insulin, which then means that I can't process um, the sugars I eat, carbohydrates I eat and turn them into energy like normal folk can, which has negative consequences long term and potentially short term as well. And the late onset bit means that I didn't have that problem until I was just turned 39, as it happens. So very much on the cusp of middle age. At that point, my main health challenge was to work out how to floss my teeth better and maybe slightly less fat. I wasn't expecting to have all of a sudden a life-changing condition. So what actually happened was, unbeknownst to me, type 1 is actually an autoimmune condition. It was February time. I do quite a bit of my work in school. So traditionally, I get knackered when it's the school holidays. 
And very often you you'll pick up a cold or a you know man flu type bug, you know, when it is the school holidays. That that's how it works. And so it was like the February half term, just before my 39th birthday. And um we'd gone to visit my parents. I now live in Devon, they live in Essex. So we'd gone to visit them for the half term and I've got this kind of coldy thing. And I was just cream crackered, done a long drive and felt a bit under the weather and, and what have you. And I had a couple of days where I was really thirsty, but you know, I didn't think much of it. Yeah. And in fact, you know, I even thought, oh, maybe this is slightly diabetic. And then I remembered like a few, maybe two, three years before I'd had a random blood test mm. and the doctor had just gone, oh, you're not diabetic and you know, various other things. So I just thought, oh yeah, that's impossible because I had no idea you could suddenly become diabetic. So why why did you have the, the test before? No idea. I think it was just a general checkup. You'd had something, and maybe it's like, oh, you know, oh, you're 35. We keep half an eye on you. Yeah. Um, you know, do some blood. You've not got any blood pressure or anything, sort of any. So your health had been pretty all right overall. I mean, too much booze. <laughs> How much drugs were you taking? Oh, be a fine thing. Um, no, um, you weren't doing lines of coke or anything, or heroin and mainlining. So you, you're being pretty healthy. What? What? You weren't eating too much junk food. No, no, I'm just fairly regular lifestyle, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I was, yeah, holiday, came back home. Um, I started mm. getting pains at the base of my back. Yeah. You know, it was actually like really uncomfortable and discontinued for a few weeks. So I thought to myself. So I'm going to ask you like the question, how uncomfortable? Is this like, oh, just a sort of grumbly, moany pain or is it a stabbing kind of, you must go to A&E kind of pain? No, I think it was like a grumbly, moany pain. Yeah. It wasn't enough to stop me doing normal things. Yeah. But I had said I'd volunteer and, and help out with a charity a friend of mine ran and that was going to involve quite a bit of lugging. Right. And I thought, actually, you know, thought, no, this is going to hurt if I do that. So I'm not going to do that. Mm, so it was enough. That's kind of more than just I'm trying to establish here this baseline of saying it was more than just a sort of niggly pain. Yeah, well, it wasn't like a kind of background thing where you kind of wake up a bit achy, but it wasn't enough of a thing to stop it normal life. So that kind of almost like having a cold, isn't it? Where you're just a bit off, but not enough to stop. Yeah. But yeah, and this carried on for a while. And it was around the kind of kidney area. So I thought, oh, maybe I've got some kind of kidney infection. Um, and, you know, I'm sure my wife prodded me a bit and eventually went to the doctor about it. So um, <laughs> how long eventually? <laughs> well, so if you're talking February. A few weeks. So I'm talking March now because <laughs> my birthday is like early March. My eldest daughter's birthday is a week after Mm -hmm. so mid-march it was in the week between our birthdays right so yeah i've given it a while and you know things you know weren't quite right so uh, yeah i'm I'm thinking i'll yeah kidney infection and then yeah some antibiotics i'll be right as rain sort of thing so he asked for a a urine sample so i have to go off and pee in a box (laughs) he then gets a dipstick puts it in looks really sharp by which point i'm thinking oh no i'm in trouble he then goes hmm this is an old pack. I better open a new one. Just check. It is all right. So he then opens a fresh pack of dipsticks, shoves that in, looks at the thing, says a very unprofessional, rude word, by which time I know I'm really in trouble. And he, he says, oh, I'm sorry, it looks like you've got diabetes. Did he then dip his finger in and taste it and go, yep, yeah, definitely. Well, he, he just knocked the whole lot back. Sipped it back. Up the on his head and, <laughs> and we sang a song about Zulu Warriors. All right. And put on the horned helmet. Something like that, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he was shocked. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you're not that old. It shouldn't be happening. Was your wee wee funny, or it's like you weren't weeing like sugar cubes or anything? No, no, it was it was perfectly normal. No one was complaining. So, uh, <laughs> at that point, you know, he's then got to refer me to the hospital to actually get a proper diagnosis. They take bloods. He then puts me on metformin, a tablet that type two people take. Yeah. Because GP can't actually diagnose type one. 
certainly at that point in time, I don't know what, all these years later, what the story, and then advises me to, you know, avoid sweet things. So you weren't allowed to see your children? Well, they're not that sweet. <laughs> but they said a really bit too twisted, didn't they? Blimey. No, they're very cute. Or at least they oh, were. Yeah, yeah. The, the older ones were at that age. You know, irony being, obviously, I've just had my birthday. I've had this, you know, huge chocolate birthday cake. And then, you know, it's the, the eldest daughter's birthday. Wreck-It Ralph has just come out. Oh. We're going off to see Wreck-It Ralph in the cinema. That's full of sweet. Yeah, you know, most of it is set in this candy land. <laughs> so, you know, it was quite, quite ironically unhumorous. Oh. You know, I'm drinking, yeah, I'm in the cinema drinking Diet Pepsi, not eating any pick and mix. You know, we went to McDonald's for breakfast. I had the porridge option. You know, all these kind of lovely celebratory birthday things and you can do none of them yeah later that kind of week i end up you know at the hospital i've yeah. done the blood test it is type one you know and then it's don't take them that form it's not going to do anything for you um wow. what you're actually going to have to do is to um take insulin and inject yourself four times a week i don't know four times a day rather sorry um <laughs> Yeah, you've also and and I'm a, I'm a musician, so I'm quite sensitive about my fingers. And you're gonna have to stab your fingers all the time, make, make stuff bleed. Do you have to do it on your finger? Yeah, that's what they recommend because the the blood goes there quite quickly. Right from the heart, I guess. I don't know. I'm not so medical, but yeah, you get them the most accurate swift reading from your fingers plus they're quite easily stabbable and squeezable whereas you know other parts of your body might not be so accessible depending on on clothing and so on and so forth so um yeah i suppose if you were sticking a needle in your bum cheeks and sort of squeezing them you might get a few odd looks yeah i mean that's that's not that socially acceptable i guess these days well you know it's it's on a par with breastfeeding i would have thought you just got to explain to people what you're doing i'm sorry i'm diabetic i have to do this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I do need my bottom exposed in public. Starting to go down the drain, here, it, isn't it? It's, it's becoming... So you've gone, you've gone to hospital. What were you expecting? You expecting them to say, "Oh, don't worry, it's all fine," or are you expecting them to go? Um, no, not so. By that, by that point, I knew things weren't good. I mean, I think yeah, after I had that initial looks like your diabetic conversation, I think I'd kind of got in touch with some of my mates like yourself to, to advise them that this is going on. And yeah, I knew the prognosis was not good. So I mean, what's kind of weird and interesting is that a, how it happens because it's, it's an autoimmune thing so because I'd had this coldy thing you know my yeah. immune system had been activated to fight that off after it brought the cold off it didn't realise it had won the battle so it then effectively looks around for something else to attack mm. your T-cells they then attacked my pancreas because for some reason they didn't recognise it as being part of my body they, they thought it was something alien so then they attacked the part of the pancreas that makes the insulin which regulates your blood sugar kind of normally yeah. so then you know at that point it's a gradual thing it's takes apparently up to about a year for your pancreas to completely stop wow. producing insulin so your blood sugar control for the first year of being diabetic tends to be better than going forward after that because there is a bit of natural reserve so you've got residual function for a bit yeah it's quite common isn't it with organ failure that you obviously got some kind of say with the kidneys that's a kind of thing as well sort of uh so I got a kidney problem and uh, it, it's kind of like you do get residual function even when they're not doing what they should be. And that can last for a while. But in the end, it does stop. The immune thing, is it always like, does it go for the pancreas for a reason or is it just something that sort of happens? I mean, could your immune system have gone for something else? Um, as you know, my wife 
sufferance from cirrhotic arthritis, which is another autoimmune condition. Yeah. You know, and, and it does seem to be a lot of folk are our age, more or less. Um, so, yeah, a good friend yeah. of ours has got a long term condition, which is, is also autoimmune. You know, yeah. a lot of kids who were brought up in the 70s and the 80s do seem to have these autoimmune conditions. So, whether, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's, there's all sorts of theories about why that is, but, um, you know, it does seem to be a thing. And, and part of it is your immune system for some reason reason not recognizing what is other and what is you yeah. you know yeah. I'm, I'm obviously not qualified to offer any explanations or theories on that but that does seem to be, be a thing i mean the initial kind of thing i mean i don't know how you are around injections and stabbing yourself and so on i have lots of blood tests so i'm okay with that but it, it's, di- it's a bit different isn't it if you've got to do it to yourself this is one of the challenges I've got with um, dialysis because obviously you've got big needles that are being stuck into you. So you've gone from probably not having many blood tests or anything ever in your life to suddenly having to stick something in yourself. Yes, I mean, and also I don't like the sight of my own blood. So I mean, at one point I, I used to give ah. blood and um, there was at least one occasion, yeah, it would be head between my legs. And, you know, so, you know, I'm a naturally sensitive, artistic, wussy kind of guy. So that you know, <laughs> doesn't help matters but i mean the fingerprint testing was manageable-ish you know you had like this kind of spring-loaded mechanism that you you know that you put on your finger and obviously you know it hurt a bit you know you could work out a knack of getting it so it didn't hurt too much and then you're squeezing the blood out and that so i kind of could cope with that and when i went to the hospital having got the diagnosis basically we had to spend the whole afternoon there Mm. getting an overview of how to treat yourself because they put you on a thing called a basal bolus um form of insulin therapy so you've actually got two different types of insulin you take you've got this background insulin um that you take you know at bedtime which then lasts for the whole day and just right. keep things kind of damped down a bit in terms of the blood sugar but then you take yeah. insulin with your meals the idea being that you match the amount of carbohydrate you would have of insulin so that say x amount of units for these meals and you know x amount of your background there's all sorts of practicalities around injection sites you want a different injection site for your background to your mealtime ones. So normally you're stabbing yourself in the bum for the background one. <laughs> they got the bum in there. Yes. Yeah, it has to be done. Yeah, and, and in your tummy for the for the mealtime ones. Then there's the kind of right. things of actually you have to move you have to stab yourself in different places each time because yep. if you re- repeatedly inject yourself in the same place, you, know, you get I can't remember what they're called now, but you get the, like these lumps of fatty tissues and then the insulin doesn't absorb. You don't yeah, you're not um injecting into a vein, you're just injecting into fat. Yeah, into into visceral. Yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not even into muscle. So you know, yeah, that's probably more straightforward than if you had to inject into a vein, I'm guessing. And the needles are relatively short. Yeah. So there's a lot to take with that. I mean, obviously it was long pre-COVID. I was able to take the wife. We were able to make notes. And, you know, they give you obscene yeah. leaflets. Plus, you know, you've got phone numbers and all the rest of it. And, you know, a good level of support. You know, even now I see the consultant kind of six-monthly or these days it's more a telephone thing. Plus help from the GP plus diabetic nurses and dietitians and all the rest of it how did it make you feel because I think that's a larger part of what men often sort of don't really talk about how it makes you feel I think if I was told that I was diabetic I'd be relatively upset I might talk to my wife a bit about it but I probably wouldn't really 
talk much about it to anyone else or how I actually really felt about it. And yet yeah. I think if I was told, you know, you've gone from zero to 100% dependency on this thing, it's a bit going. Seeing as you, also you've generally been in good health, you know, I've known you a long time. You've always been sort of healthy and fit and you've got a very active lifestyle. You've got family, you've got a job that you run around. So it's the kind of thing of like, well, hang on a minute. How did that make you feel? Well, I mean, yeah, shock initially. One thing I was going to kind of touch on, if it's okay, is just the whole thing of actually the doing the initial injections myself was really traumatic. Yeah. Because yeah, they, yeah, they explain it at the hospital, but you don't actually do it. Cause... They don't do it at the hospital? No, no, they send you home with the stuff. So that evening... You've not done this ever before, so you must get a load of stuff. So was that shocking in itself, getting all these bits and pieces? wouldn't say so, because, I mean, you, you know you've got to have some stuff. You, know, you don't know what stuff I'm going to have to have eventually, and yeah. I'm going to needles testing stuff and then have you got um sharp spins and things yeah yeah so there's all that there's the whole thing of right you take the sharp spin you'll have to get in touch with the council when you fill it up blah 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 quite an imposing into into a normal house like routine isn't it of going from nothing kind of like this thing of bringing in needles and like insulin and stuff that's quite a big jump isn't it from just having paracetamol in the cupboard absolutely yeah yeah so that's a lot to kind of get terms with and then i mean yeah that night they gave me like a, a fake insulin pen that had saline in just so that you could kind of practice <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm trying to do the thing and I, and I just can't because I like I say I'm a wuss you know why, why would I have to hurt myself <laughs> why do I want to put, stab myself with this needle yeah and, and it like it was quite a big mental block you know and I, and I, li- and I went and got an orange and practiced with the saline thing on that and <laughs> yeah and I'm still not kind of good with it in the end it's been about I don't know eight nine ten o'clock something like that I'm not getting very far with, with all this so so I actually ring my pastor from church we have a chat he prays for me over the phone and then I have another crack and I actually do it but it's a big mental block to jump over to actually start doing that and yeah you get used to it you work out how to do it um, but at that point did you have to take it at that point I mean would, would it have given you if you had uh, wussed out completely if you don't take insulin you got type 1 blood will turn acidic and it will eat your internal organs and you will end up in a very very sorry state you know and that was partly why the doctor was so shocked because the level of sugar in my urine meant it was highly likely that my blood would have started producing what they call ketones and you can get this um, diabetic ketosis thing which yeah like I say your, your blood turns acidic and attacks your organs and I, I've since I've met someone who's, who's had that experience mm. and he was in intensive care you know it's, mm. it's that serious in the short term you know I could get away with not taking insulin for you know a week my blood sugar would rock it right. it wouldn't be good for me but I wouldn't yeah. notice it and that's one of the things as well it's one of these conditions yeah, yeah. where actually you can feel perfectly fine but yeah your blood sugars can yeah. be way too high and the long-term consequences are yeah. pretty serious yeah there are there are a few things like that like high blood pressure is one of those as well that if you've got high blood pressure you don't notice any symptoms it wasn't like goodness me i really need to get myself checked out it's like actually i can put that on that burner and eventually look into it i mean you're talking about that kind of yeah so mm. the shock i mean what i found as well is there's so much to deal with yeah managing yeah. A, a chronic condition so um yeah they're just the mental bandwidth completely kind of shut um, and yeah. and also i think as well yeah your body adjusting firstly to being ill and then adjusting to being kind of a yeah medically brought into yeah. how it ought to be or more than how it ought to be i did have a few days where i was just like 
I just feel awful. So, you know, really the success of my work depends a lot on my relationship with my clients. And so I, I was pretty mm-hmm. open and honest with them about what was going on. Because, I mean, the, the doctor did, you know, say, look, I'll sign you off work for a couple of weeks to get your head around all of this. Well, when you're self-employed, that's not actually going to do anything for you, unfortunately. Obviously, I was very grateful for the offer. But a lot of the stuff that I did outside of the work context, very involved in the, in the church and stuff, I just had to pause because I just didn't have the mental bandwidth for it. Which was hard, you know, um, she felt like you let him vote down and so on. My own kind of creative stuff that I do had to be paused. It was very much one of those seasons where you're keeping work ticking over and you're prioritizing looking after yourself and getting your head around this, you know, because mentally you're spinning plates. I mean, one of the other things that was really weird about six months in, I kind of woke up that morning and I was like, really, I should be better now. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have to take this medicine. So, you know, you, just... yeah, you've elapsed, you've elapsed long enough for it to, yeah, yeah. So everything else you, you know, I'd, I'd ever had at that point was, you know, like a... It's gone away. <laughs> oh, you've got an infection of some sort. Take these antibiotics. I mean, I, wasn't, mm. I had shingles once and I felt terrible for about a week. And then, you know, mm. these spots appeared and my wife was like, I reckon you've got shingles. Went to the doctor and he's like, you've got shingles. Have these scary big tablets. Still felt terrible <laughs> for another week or so. Then got better. Or even, you know, when I was... 18, 19, I had glandular fever, so I felt terrible mm. for a few months and then got better. Yeah. yeah. And there's that thing of, well, that's how, how medicine works. That's how health works. You, know, you, you have a bad patch and then you get better. You don't have to take yeah. the medicine and you don't have to think about you know, monitoring yourself. Oh, yeah, I've got to get some prescriptions and I'll better get the shots been changed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's, a, that's a challenge. It takes it out of you. But, I mean, and the other thing is, if you're taking insulin for diabetes, is if you don't match things up right and you end up taking too much insulin, mm. then you, you get what they call mm. a hypo, where you just feel awful and then you need to right. eat sweets. And so basically, your, your blood sugars shoot down too low. So you have to bring it back up. Yeah, so you've got to bring them back up. If you don't bring them back up, you can do all sorts of weird stuff and conk out, which again would be really bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, and driving. Yeah. Because that's a risk. DVLA don't want you passing out the wheel i mean like you're drunk at the wheel which is you know what can happen with a severe high play so you know, legally mm. if you're driving a blood sugar has got to be above five a high post technically below four but that's to give right. when you're driving you oh, test yourself more and monitor yourself more anyway so if you're doing a motorway journey you've got to stop every two well you've got to test every two hours when you're driving so you can only drive for two hours then you can carry on right so that that's a big change because you know obviously if you've got to go from Torquay to Essex and then you have to keep stopping all the time fortunately with small children they need a wee about that frequently anyway so um you know but yeah you have to be aware of where the service stations are and all that kind of thing so if you're not stopping and doing these tests are they the dvla could uh if you had a crash yeah your driving license as soon as you're on insulin goes from being unlimited to a three-year renewable a bit like old people i think yeah three years years it has to be renewed and you have to sign this document saying that you understand what the rules are and that if you break the rules you are actually breaking the law and they're entirely within their rights to take your license and whatever else well that's quite a quite a burden in terms of if you were sort of having a bad day and you got a bit scatty yeah and you know it's fair enough because obviously you don't want to be killing other motorists or killing yourself um you know that would be bad mm, generally absolutely so yeah there's all that kind of stuff so it's a lot to take in and yeah they put you on courses to help you so 
done a few diabetic courses. And that's where I met this chap who'd had like a full on PKA attack, you know, for some play. I mean, I met a chap on one of these courses who um, he was like a footballer for the local team. Um, like, yeah, professional, young chap, 18, mm-hmm. 19, I think he was. Then he got diabetic and just health wise, it threw him all over the place. He wasn't able mm-hmm. to actually pursue his dream of being a professional footballer. Yeah, because sports people, yeah, it is possible to be a diabetic sports person, but you need an incredible amount of support yeah. and you need to be able to access that support quickly. And this is this is a guy who's a professional sports person, but you know, at the beginning of his career and in a you know at a lower league team and the support wasn't there. I was very fortunate. I was able to carry on working and mm. you know, some of the more fun stuff in life I couldn't do for a bit. Yeah, over time, you know, I managed to reclaim the mental bandwidth and carry on with all the other stuff. So on a day to day, um, how do you keep yourself going then? So you've got this routine that you have to sort of adhere to. How do you monitor and keep going? I mean, it's all well and good saying that you've got to keep this level, this, that and the other. But how on earth do you do that? What's going on? So historically, I would have to do these kind of stab your finger tests multiple times yep. a day. What's been a real game changer in the last couple of years is a thing called uh, the Libra system. And this is uh, like a sensor that you actually stick your arm um, each sensor lasts for a fortnight and then you can yeah. zap it with either um, a smartphone or a specific kind of meter that yeah. they give you and rather than just give a snapshot of your blood sugar is now x it gives you yeah. up to eight hours data so you you're now able to be continuously monitored certainly where i am if you are type one and serious about it you you get that on prescription so you get that on the nhs so they, they are you know on prescription and approved now they're yeah. now on the yeah, second cool. version which has got a thing where if you're hypoing it actually sends you an alert via your phone so that's uh, an improvement over sort of the manual methods oh absolutely yeah totally and as well you can link with the apps straight to the hospital so so, so the the diabetic nurses at the hospital and consultant have got all your data we know which mm. makes monitoring does that give you a better outcome then over long term because i mean i always hear the scare stories about people having their legs chopped off and things because they're they're sort of not managing their condition very well so is this overall should it give you better prognosis yeah so with the um the newfangled monitoring they're much more able to help you control your kind of overall level the marker they use for that is what they call the hba1c so that's a, a blood test that gives you a three-month snapshot of how you've been doing i think they actually just count right. bits of sugar on red blood cells under a microscope i may be wrong but now with the monitoring they're really looking at what percentage of time are you is your blood sugar level within the acceptable uh, range and um, mm. with the graphs and that they can turn around and kind of go okay you know certain times of day you tend to go too high or too low or it takes you a long while or you know or even you know you can imagine some folk are very well controlled during the week but at the weekend it all goes a bit crazy and that actually helps kind of tailor our advice and you work a lot with diabetic nurses and dietitians there's mm. this whole thing called carb counting where you work out what ratio of insulin you need to match the food that you eat and and so on and so that yeah kind of work with you in that regard to improve that basically once you've got this kind of monitoring going on you should you should be able to keep yourself well within sort of a boundary that's healthy and, and sort of have a long time of good yeah, good health. yeah i mean again it is that mental bandwidth thing so i mean recently i mm-hmm. kind of went through kind of trying to calm count again and work out my my ratios and stuff and yeah that can be quite mentally challenging because you're working out beforehand what you're going to eat yeah, then look at packets to do the maths. You know, if you're, which, yeah, if you're at home, it's, yeah. it's doable. It's a bit of a pain sometimes, but yeah, that's not too horrendous. If you're out and about, so you're eating out somewhere, 
how do you know how big a portion of chips is going to be, for instance? You know, all those sorts of things. You know, what if you're a bit spontaneous and you're like, oh, I have this, this and this, and oh, that looks really nice, I'll then have that. So <laughs> it can be a brain ache thing. Um, and as well, in theory, you're meant to take your insulin about half an hour before actually eating. So, you know, working that stuff out beforehand. So even, you know, even with all the kind of the monitoring and support, it's, you know, if you, if you want to be super strict and super good, it, it can be actually quite tricky. And, yeah, you can see why people you know, just guess rather than calculate, you know, or, or on the other extreme, you kind of end up with people, you know, where it, where it controls your life, you know, becomes mm-hmm. very prescriptive. And I think in the part I haven't spoken to, so I've got some friends whose son's type one, so he must be now... Mm about 30 um and he's been type one from from birth that was incredibly challenging growing up because obviously you didn't have all the technology when you're growing your body's constantly changing so all your kind of carbohydrate to insulin ratios are going to be in a state of constant flux yeah the more advanced kind of monitoring that we have now has done has actually made it much more possible for you to be in control and to yeah rather than it to be in control of you so that kind of relationship to your condition and that relationship to food and actually that sense of yeah. you know, the locus of control. Are you in control of your life? Do you, you know, do you, are you able to take responsibility for stuff and actually be in control of stuff? Or you know, are you buffeted by events and following instructions? So it's a more, more empowering kind of approach. But having said that, obviously that does then mean that you have to take responsibility and you have to think about stuff and... Yeah, sometimes that's tricky. A box of chocolates. A beautiful woman getting ready to take a shower. A man dressed all in black lurks in the shadows, fires a grappling hook, scales the wall and enters via an open window, places the chocolates on the bed, turns to see her silhouette in the shower, a sly smile. He turns and walks to the balcony, fires another grappling hook and zip wires away. A short time later, the woman finds the chocolates on her bed with a mysterious card, looks very worried, shuts all the windows and bolts the front door. She calls the police to report a stalker and tries to sleep that night with one eye open. And all because the lady loves a box of chocolates. Relatively soon, theory. They measure you on what your um, filtration is. So I'm uh, well. My I had it done blood test yesterday, and I get the results. So my GFR, which is is um, how they measure it, is twelve, and it should be sixty or above um, for normal people. So I am kind of just hovering above the point where you need it. And what happens is when you is ten the magic number. Well, 10 or below, I think, is, is when you start. But what happens is, is certain things start to build up in your body, like urea and other things, potassium. And it makes you, it just makes you ill. And then you, lo- you lose your appetite and start getting nausea. So it's all kind of cheerful stuff. I mean, I'm in that difficult stage of trying to make sure that I do the best for my family, for myself as well, so that this is part of the journey that I ended up on um, with the counselling. That you want to make sure you get treatment to stay healthy. Yeah, yeah. So the, the just the best prognosis, really. So, And um, the ultimate thing is to get a kidney transplant. One of the other problems is like the kidneys are quite 
uh, enlarged, so I might need to have one of them taken out, but that causes other problems because obviously you've got to have an operation. It's quite a major thing to take kidneys out, but it would be helpful in some ways because it's it would give me back some mobility and sort of lung capacity that I've lost. But there, if I had the kidney taken out, I'd definitely have to have a, a dialysis. Trying to weigh up the options. I've actually got, um, supposedly, I'm meant to be seeing, uh, so they do the transplants at Guy's, in London so I'm meant to be seeing some specialist at some point my consultant in Brighton has arranged they're quite busy because yeah. of what's happened with COVID because everything's shut down and now it's all ramped up and they've gone they've gone the other way now so I think that's part of things that are going on is because is of COVID it's it's pushed everything out and about which is why I didn't get the operation on my arm the other day because they they took the theatre space they phoned me up and said that the theatre space was too precious and they needed it for people who were uh, needed desperately to have operations so i was obviously fine about that but i don't want them to keep putting it off and off and off we arranged it all and then and then literally the day before they cancelled it or but at least we didn't go there and then they cancelled it because that would be yeah so there you go i'm i'm at that point but i'll I'll let you know what's going on and i'll update you (laughs) as uh things happen but you're a bit in limbo yeah yeah it's a funny place but also you know just getting to that point of actually wanting to have this operation on my arm which i don't want at all that's that's the other problem i don't want an operation so it's a dissonance in me of saying you're you're damaging your body and like like with the cancer thing you know that you have to have that removed because it's bad for you whereas when they're just chopping your arm up it's like i don't want to get ill from not having dialysis but the other options are worse like worse because they they put a line so if you've got this line here you can't have showers or anything and you've got these two things right, sticking yeah. out or lines and you've got this kind of infection point whereas on the arm the fistula is less likely to get infected so it's safer with the line in here you can get infections in your heart uh, like a virus or something and they were saying that it's just not as safe and also you get they damage the blood vessels there they can't do it again so you had to have an emergency where they needed to do it once they put the line in so it damages it so you can you're reducing the options of where you can put things in so obviously the best way to do it is to have it on your arm and then it's it's natural and part i know it's not natural natural but it's it's part of you rather than being an implant or anything so yeah so that's that's what that'd be yeah i've kind of got to the point now where i think if it makes me feel better (laughs) i'd like probably like to have it because you know i've been feeling generally less well and uh, it's like you said about driving things I'm, I'm not so keen to drive long distances and all that kind of stuff now because I just don't feel as well. I don't, I don't feel well. I, I, it's hard to explain. No, but it was so. normal you, and then there's probably haze day to day, and then sometimes you probably feel worse again. Theory that when you have the dialysis, initially it might make you feel worse, but over time it'll lower the toxins, and then it brings you up. Yeah back up to a better level um, and they can reduce like the medication that they take for blood pressure they can reduce that which is a good thing because that that makes you feel weird anyway just taking the blood pressure medication uh, so that makes you sort of dizzy a bit and a bit fuzzy anyway so is the kidney thing a bit like the diabetes thing in the you know it can be kind of in the background and just opening up to lots of nasties what in terms of damage yeah so with diabetes you know there's all sorts of kind of possible direct side effects yeah also but there's also just the thing of actually if there's more sugar in your blood and there ought to be bugs like that and therefore you're just more prone to infections and whatever else. Mainly is the blood pressure. Um, if you've got high blood pressure, it damages your blood vessels and it's, it's hidden. You can't see it. So you, it can damage your heart um, and obviously blood vessels rupture and it puts pressure on the major blood vessels. So there's, there is a thing uh, some people 
are sort of predisposed to aneurysms and things, possibly brain. I mean, I've not had any kind of reports of that. There's no, not particularly any history in the family. So he did the classic thing of not getting himself diagnosed so there's a different pathway his dad died from the same illness um of the uh, the kidney disease because he couldn't get access to dialysis and and it just wasn't widely available that was in the 1950s it did exist dialysis apparently but it wasn't available so my dad passed out in hospital when my youngest sister was being born tried to measure his blood pressure a bit like with your sugar Mm. they couldn't measure it it was too high again it's another one of these well you know that surprised look from the doctor because he hadn't had any treatment he's had however many years of this high blood pressure until he collapsed and he apparently had a heart condition anyway which was congenital i strongly believe that with the high blood pressure and the heart and everything because again he didn't get that diagnosed properly he's typical bloke you know indigestion or whatever so he took lots of indigestion stuff because he didn't get properly treatment so i think he just made himself to a position where he got very ill so the end i mean he died when he was 52 but the last years of his life were pretty miserable he just got so ill because he had this heart condition he had the kidney failure Yeah, yeah he was on dialysis and and when he did get the kidney transplant, his body just he just had a heart attack at that point. So it's kind of tragic at that point yeah. for something to go like that. Yeah, really. So I think that's the importance, like we we discussed the importance of making sure that on a day-to-day basis or getting treatment when you need it and actually asking for that help rather than just sort of denying it and going, oh, you know, it'll be all right after six months, like you said, after so much time, oh, it'll, it never, it'll never get me, it won't catch up. Or there are people that live, you know, you always get the, read the scenarios where there are people that live till they're sort of in their 60s before it manifests or anything. And you're like, oh, well, that'll be me. I'll just carry on as normal. I mean, I'm a bit overweight and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the weight I'm carrying at the moment is yeah, my kidneys. Yeah. So we noticed that on the um, stand-up video. I need to get a um, Dennis Roussos kind of caftan. Well, you know, it hides a multitude of sins. I don't like the idea of dialysis, and it is the thing that I don't like is losing independence. I don't like losing being tied to a machine because that's what yeah. will happen. And I don't like the thought of sticking needles in myself or having that done to me. So I, I'm not really needle phobic. It's like I don't faint at the sight of blood, but I'm not really no, keen to see blood, lots of blood. Their own is less a thing, and and the, you know, doing anything that hurts you. Just weird to me, so. Yeah, I mean, I've had so many blood tests recently. I kind of started to get a bit kind of like, okay. Well, no, yeah. well, uh, the other and the other thing that I had, which I haven't told you, was that um, I was like started getting really short of breath. They gave me an iron infusion, so I, I was a bit um, anemic. But I've never had that before. But I was literally walked up to stairs to my bedroom and I was like, like I'd run a marathon, kind of panting for breath. And that that worried me because then I thought thinking he's my heart. Yeah, that's a classic heart, heart condition thing, isn't it? Fortunately, in a way, I'd had an ECG not that long before that and I'd had a fitness test and I'd, I'd been fine on that and managed to go through the whole thing. I don't know if you've ever done one no, on a treadmill, no. but it's quite sort of intensive. And they, they get the treadmill, they make it faster and faster and faster and then it stops. It's like, oh, at the end of it, you're like, thank Thank goodness that's over because it's it's like they're torturing you a bit. I mean, you've always been fairly regular at going to the gym and all that kind of thing, haven't you? Yeah, I don't I don't do that anymore, but I do go for a walk. Um, I, I try and go for a walk every day. I think just going walking is enough to just keep you fit. You know, just walking for half an hour. My minimum is half an hour. But yeah. we take the kids to school. I, I we walk to school with the kids. So yeah. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, take a look at the links in the description. Please like and subscribe. 
I'd love to hear from listeners. You can comment on the podcast page on my site. Join me next time for even more Combo Waffle. Until then, DTFN.